Wonder Women is back. What's up, guys? This is another episode of Two Dare is Human. I'm your host, Adam Connor, and today is our next installment of that series, which details fantastic females and the dares they make. Now, for those of you who are new to this show, this is a podcast and really a project which dives into the stories of individuals who are pursuing a new venture or a new interest or an old passion, regardless, illustrating a deviation from the norm and from a beaten path to carve new roads themselves. I've talked to people from the Forbes 30 under 30 lists. I've talked to tech entrepreneurs, rising social media stars, and Maddie Smith, who is an up-and-coming Broadway talent who recently marked herself as the youngest female to ever conduct in a Broadway orchestra pit. I was lucky to just be cast in shows in college, and luckily was cast alongside Maddie during some of these. I should actually say Madeline Smith. I keep saying Maddie because I knew her, but we agreed beforehand we're going to do Madeline Smith. Madeline Smith and I knew each other during school, we performed a lot, I leaned back when I came to my decision. I did not dare, as the folks on this show, at least who come on, do. But Maddie decided to go whole hog into her passion. She moved to New York, jumped right into the Broadway scene, and before you knew it, became a conductor on the staff of Waitress, a musical which is now playing. And you'll get some details about that towards the end of the episode and towards the end of the interview. I really look forward to having you hear her story because I talk a lot in mini-sodes and in some of the videos I did for YouTube about many ventures that you can adopt the to dare as human mentality and generally I break it down into traditional business and into the arts because those are my two backgrounds, but I haven't actually really brought anybody on who's been involved directly in the performing arts and now today I'm able to do that. But before I do, I want to bring up a quick review that I got on iTunes. Now, if you listen to the mini-sode on Monday, I mentioned that it's great to see the iTunes reviews. You don't by any means have to do it. If you need to go and open up the podcast app and then search for Tadaris Human and then find my thing and go to the reviews page and do the stars and enter your name and write the... I mean, it's a lot of steps. And I, I love the people that do it. I love the people that send me an email. I love the people that react to my Instagram posts or my Facebook posts. But this one in particular was great. Short, sweet, to the point. Just came in yesterday. It's five-star rating. And the person's name is simply Fan of TDIH. So that's great that you're a fan regardless of your name. Titled Quality Content and Guests. And the review states, Looking forward to seeing what all of these daring individuals do next and to the next episode of Wonder Women. Well, Fan of TDIH, your wish is my command. Today is our third profile in that series. I'm so happy to have brought her on this show and to share her story with you. This is Broadway's youngest, fiercest new talent in the pit, Madeline Smith. Okay, so I am here with Madeline Smith, somebody who has been a friend of mine for a long, long time and somebody who at the moment is just crushing it up in New York <laughs> on the Broadway theater scene. You can already hear a little bit because he's, Adam, you're being ridiculous. But no, uh, seriously, recently uh, becoming the youngest ever female to conduct in a Broadway orchestra pit. Uh, amazing, um, amazing thing to put on the resume uh, at the very least. But uh, obviously uh, she is bound for great, great things. And I'm, I'm so happy to have reconnected with her and gotten her on the show today. Madeline, I call you Maddie, but we'll go Madeline. How are you doing? <laughs> I'm good. Thank you for having me. 
So you are, you've been in New York since we graduated in the mm-hmm. 2014. Yeah. And, um, you know, since have been rubbing shoulders with, you know, the elite of the Broadway scene. You were doing that before you, you left school. Uh, you've been doing it for many, many years. And uh, it's been great to, to watch you grow. It's been great to see all your friends cheer you on. It's been great to, I feel like every other day I see somebody putting something on Facebook about it. But uh, <laughs> as I've been doing with many folks on this show, um, I'm going to turn back the clocks a little bit because obviously this was not something that you thought up, uh, you know, in college and said, oh, I, I think I'll go, you know, be uh, be a star on the conducting side in Broadway. This was something that you've been thinking about for a long time. And traditionally on this show, we've been talking to folks who are diving into new ventures or uncertain ventures from something completely different, from some real world, real life scenario that they're deciding to dive into. However, this was something that you had been passionate about and following and fully intending on pursuing for a long, long time. Just so we're clear, when exactly did this start? It was like a pretty, pretty early age, right? Yeah, it's it's funny to think back. I think that uh, music directing for theater is sort of a an, a hodgepodge of a skill set. And I can look back and see some of the things planted in my life before I even knew that that was a, a career path. And it was more... Uh, finding the label for all of the musical things that I love to do. So I, I studied classical piano when I was a kid um, and loved some things about it and hated some things about it. I loved uh, sight reading. I loved that it let me be the person who could sit down with friends and sort of just make up stuff that people wanted to sing off the top of my head. Um, But I hated competing and practicing. (laughs) And so when I was in high school, I quit. I had a very defiant uh, conversation with my parents. And I was like, enough of piano. I want to do theater. And they were like, okay. So in high school, I performed in my high school's musicals. And again, it was, I loved it and hated it. It taught me the beauty of being in a kind of artistic community. Um, but I was never destined to be, be a performer, I don't think. Um, so I started in college with this, this kind of dual life of, I used to be a pianist, I'm kind of into theater, but I don't know what it all amounts to. And in college, it just was like, oh, this is what it is. This is what the theater community needs, is someone with these sorts of uh, piano skills or musical propensities. Um, and then I was lucky enough to go to Harvard where, at least at the time, theater was sort of unstructured enough that if you wanted to music direct, you could just conduct orchestras over and over and be really bad at it and then hopefully eventually get a little better. So that was sort of the, the path. It's funny to think that, I mean, because in the context of me knowing you, I, I had always seen you as that latter chapter of somebody who uh, straight up knew what they were doing and and uh, never really wavered from that. But it's funny, I um, <laughs> I had no instrumental experience really, at least in piano. I tried it for a year, hated it, dropped it. You loved it, got to find it. And it's funny that you almost like acted against yourself there in, in high school, but you decide to sort of sidestep into theater, you're performing. Had you had any performance experience on the stage before that, other than playing uh, playing an instrument? And then, if not, what, what was it like being on the stage for the first time, having been tangentially involved with music, but the performative side being brand new? 
when I when I was performing in high school. Yeah, yeah. Let's start there. Yeah, I mean, it was great. I mean, what? That's what you know. I just did my my public high school spring musical. Basically, I mean, it, it, there's nothing better in terms of um, a, a place. I think what was so enthralling to me was that. I realized that musical theater was this place where like you could be weird and and kooky and all all the kind of cliche things about a high school theater department. It just drew me out and I was such a bookworm and I I was very um tightly wound and sort of like achievement oriented and I think theater was like oh no you can just kind of like be and not always be wired that way. Um so I loved it. I absolutely loved it. Uh but it is funny because in in the years since, I have like very very little interest in performing at all anymore. And um, one of the funny things about Waitress, which is the show I'm conducting right now, is that of all things, the band is on stage in costume, interacting with actors. We have like blocking. We have you know all this stuff. And so it's like as soon as I try to run from piano it ends up coming back into my life as a music director. And then I try to run away from performing. And my first chance I get to music direct, I'm like, I'm like getting notes on my acting. It's just right. like, oh, man. it's haunting me. You, you, ever, you ever think like, uh, hey, uh, Mr. Director or Mrs. Director, uh, right. I'm not a Broadway actress, okay? Oh, my I, uh, gosh. I play I the piano and I conduct very well. But as soon as you tell me to like feel more uh, about this line, that that's not me. But it's funny that you say that uh, – you know, the, the performance or at least the theatrical performance part, uh, it's it's sad to hear that it's it's a little out the door for you because I happen to remember. Oh, no. <laughs> I happen to remember a time when that wasn't the case. I remember. <laughs> so for the listeners, uh, Maddie and I were in a we did a bunch of projects together, but one specifically was over the summer. Our uh, what was it? I think it was 2012. She, yeah. And yeah. Uh, and we were in You're a Good Man, Charlie Brown. Uh, I was Schroeder, and you were Sally. I was. And, I and was. We, and we had a and we had a like a fun little duet there, uh, <laughs> and and all all of the blocking, all of the you know different you know frolicking all over the stage. So it's 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 sad to see that all you'll always be that you know that that to me. But of course, no, don't be sad. It's okay. <laughs> it's honestly you helped prepare me for Broadway because. I mean that was that kept my chops up, you know. It's it's good. It's, you hear it's an that, important listener? time. <laughs> you hear the credit that I'm being given right now? This is ridiculous. Oh man. So you uh, were doing both then in 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 college. You started the mm-hmm. transition over to the music direction, and and you're right. It it was relatively unstructured that you could go and say I'm going to be the music director, and people would just say, okay, you're, right, you're right. the music director. You know, you're 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 the person now, and so you mm-hmm. you immediately step into that role. But it wasn't too long before, through classes, through performances, you started to, as as I said towards the beginning rub shoulders with those who, who were, who had already made it in the business and who were, uh, who were doing very well with it. I, I remember a couple of people, you can obviously list off many more than I, but, um, like I remember the class that we took where it was Jason Robert Brown who came in and obviously the composer of parade composer of, uh, many, many more, uh, great works who, uh, you worked with a little bit. Um, obviously, um, remind me of, remind me of the names of the two composers from bad boy. Oh yeah. So yeah, Larry uh, Lawrence O'Keefe, who wrote Bat Boy and Legally Blonde, and then 
Legally Blonde was also written by his wife, Nell Benjamin, and they're both Harvard grads and very supportive of young alums. I think that um, because fewer Harvard alums go into the arts, it's a it's like a very uh, loyal little crew. So if uh, if you reach out to an alum and you're like, I'm going to take a stab at this too, they're so excited that someone's even going to try. And and it's funny because I already see that tendency in myself. Like when I when when current Harvard students reach out to me and want to talk about the industry, I'm so delighted because I know that it's unpopular and I know I know that it's not it's not exactly what Harvard as a brand prepares you for like it doesn't prepare you to freelance no one t- no one ever talks to me about what what that is or like what that would feel like to be like seeking out all your own income on a month to month basis i don't know i i think that that looking back that's why the harvard artist connections are so sweet and profound to me i think it's an excellent point. You're not taking a class, I think really at any school that I know of, that's like freelancing 101. Yeah, like nobody's yeah. preparing you to go out and say, okay, you've had four years of education or however many years you choose. Now you're going to uh, just go and see if you can make it happen month to month. It's always mm-hmm. it's always in, entrenched in people's minds that you have to go and you have to find some stable source of income. You know, jobs are so hard to get, blah, blah, blah. You know, the economy, ETC, mm-hmm. and you take a different path. There is a great group of people uh, at Harvard and elsewhere, the arts community, very tight knit, as you said. And perhaps that um, worked in synergy with the fact that the unstructured nature of, of, of music direction and conducting uh, really made a nice niche for you where you were able to connect with these folks, where there were people who were not doing it as you were. People certainly were not doing it as in a talented a way as you. And you caught the attention of folks very, very quickly. And uh, I, I saw that. A lot of people saw that. And I guess the people who eventually have mentored you and, and carried you uh, in part to this point have seen that. You get through college Hang on one second. There's a big construction thing outside. Oh, no. That's all right. They're doing this big, like, apartment thing right next to me, these high rises. And it's so just, annoying. Yeah. It's all right. That's why doing these during the day, I always I have a little pause. Yeah, yeah. Totally customary. All right. I'm going to start where I was. You performed in this manner throughout college. Mm-hmm. You made these connections. Uh, you know, you took the courses. You rubbed the shoulders. You networked. You then graduate. And everybody reaches that point where you now have to dive off the deep end for yourself. All of the freelancing 101 that was never taught in class is something that you <laughs> now have to go and put in practice. And luckily, you do have this community of folks to fall back on. But at the end of the day, it comes on to you to truly go and do it. And New York, obviously, being one of the hubs of performance, obviously, Broadway being the, the best place to go for theater, I, I would think you agree, uh, full of these folks. And in this case, music direction and conducting while perhaps unstructured during our time at school, you are now entering an arena in New York where there is a hell of a lot of structure. And there are people who have been doing this for life and they are all competing for these spots and they have been trained for it. And you have to come in and compete. How, explain to me what it felt like being in New York, just trying to make it those first maybe like six, 12 months where things were uncertain. You had folks who knew you were good at what you did, but you had to be a soft starter too. 
Oh, I, it's so funny. I, I look back on the first six to 12 months with like a little bit of PTSD. It's like, oh, I can't go there in my mind, but also with like really sort of sweet nostalgia already because it was just such a thrill. It was, it was such a unique experience and um, every, there, it was all question marks. Like there was, no, there was nothing about my life that felt like certain, which I think was just healthy for me as a person. Um, I am lucky to have super supportive parents who believe in me. And I think the kind of gutsiest act that they took of believing in me is that I graduated, you know, spent the summer and in September, they're like, all right, we believe in you so much that we're cutting you off and you have to. (laughs) (laughs) Thanks, mom and and dad. Yeah. And and honestly, like I, even just with a couple of years of perspective, I'm, I'm glad they did. I think, I think that it um, empowered me to carve this out for myself and, and treat it like a career path. Uh, And, and, by the way, like people work this out with their families in all different ways. And I think that that's totally their prerogative. And, and some parents choose to support their kids for many years. And that's, if that's what works for their family, that's great. But I think for my personality, it was good because it meant I had to sometimes like seek out things that I wouldn't have, that were like a little bit outside of my comfort zone. And like, I took a lot of really weird gigs not really weird nothing like sketchy but i i i played... yeah, yeah this this is this is a family show uh... <laughs> yeah sorry i'm sorry <laughs> i um i but no I, I just i started playing piano everywhere i could literally everywhere i could and anytime someone would play me to pay piano to play you know pay me to play piano i was delighted because it was like oh i'm doing it like this is it and so um i think that was like a huge uh push out of the nest on their part um, that made it a little bit scary, but was important. And um, I don't know, in terms of competition, it's tricky. I think that uh, music directors in particular, I think good music directors are in demand. I think there's fewer good music directors than there are people who want to do musicals. And so I have found that the sort of mafia of music directors is actually a very supportive and kind one to be in. I think that it it's in everyone's best interest to support each other because if I got an email later today asking me to music direct a five-day reading next week, I can't do it. But if I send along five email addresses of my friends who maybe could and then next time they send my email address around, like everyone wins. <laughs> and so you can't do that if you're an actor. You can't be like, sorry, I'm busy, but like my friend's a really good actor. <laughs> um, and even directors, I think it's not as common. I think that there's some, there's like a vision or an aesthetic associated with being a director that music directing is more about honing different skills. And so I've found that it's less in the microcosm of musical theater, it's a less competitive uh, little niche. Um, that said, yeah, I mean, also, like, there are haters for sure, <laughs> which is like a separate question, I guess. But, um, you know, I, I think that when 
when you're touted as a female anything, um, there are going to be people who think it's you only got it as as a female. And so you just, you know, you take it in stride and you you take care of the musicians that you're working with and you keep your eyes ahead. Like, I think that it, it got under my skin for a hot second. And then I was like, there's just no time. I have to just keep doing what I'm doing, I think. Right, exactly. And that's, that's uh, as I said, an interesting point. It's, it's, it was unintuitive, to, at least for me, it, it seems unintuitive to be less, have less competition with with such a, because, you know, you're talking about the Broadway stage, you know, that's the cream of the crop. That's the, mm-hmm. you know, that's the limelight. But um, it's funny that you, you identify it as not as competitive. Now, you, you do all of this, uh, this networking, obviously, like you said, you'd be happy to pass along names of folks who could do something in the case that you couldn't, mm-hmm. and they would do the same for you. You had that experience that you built up, you know, maybe in that first year after being pushed out of the nest so gracefully. Mm-hmm. And <laughs> <laughs> no, but all for good, all for good cause. What was, I have to imagine that at the beginning it was, you know, you were picking up projects here and there. Um, it certainly wasn't as steady as doing something like Waitress. But uh, where, where was the moment where once you had made the jump, where was like the secondary moment where you said, okay, not only was this a good idea to do, but now I know for certain that this is going to be a career of mine. Was it the waitress moment? Was it a different moment? Uh, I, I'm curious. Uh, I don't know if I've had that moment. I mean, I have, of course I have. I think that I've had that, that moment in like a low grade way a hundred times. I've had it in like a big emotional way five times, but in terms of like one moment, that's like, this is my, I, I don't know how to explain. It's kind of like, just, just, it sounds corny, but just like running, fe- feeling like I led a good rehearsal can make me, you know, text my mom and be like, I was born to do this. I was born, I'm in the center of what I was born to do. It, it, but it doesn't matter. The caliber of what that rehearsal was is kind of beside the point. I think that there's just kind of these little flashes of clarity amid all the exhaustion that's like, oh my gosh, I feel like today I'm feeling it, <laughs> which maybe people would feel in any job, it's like there are days that are boring and there are days that are fulfilling. Um, but I don't know if I can point to like a watershed moment, which was like, I'm here to stay. Like, I'm not going to give up. That's a fair point. Uh, I think especially especially where you are essentially freelancing, uh, it has to be a scrapbook of moments and not necessarily one yeah. defining characteristic. Though... There are, I'm sure, some moments where you were on cloud nine, as you've just mentioned. Mm-hmm. I want to talk a little bit about the current project that you're involved in, Waitress, which, as we stated uh, at the beginning of this, uh, has made you the youngest ever female to conduct in a Broadway orchestra pit. What was it like to to be asked to join that project? Um, I joined Waitress. It was kind of an evolving thing where I started... It's kind of like a very rare success story of how upward mobility can exist in any company, um, which I feel usually you hope it will and then it doesn't. But I, I started as the like the music assistant of the department, um, and then I ended up doing a lot because the it's kind of orchestrated by its own band. There's not like a formal orchestrator. I ended up transcribing basically the whole score along with another uh, colleague 
um, into sheet music because no one had done that basically. And so that ended up being a huge responsibility because it was like the notation of the whole show. And then the show opened, I started accompanying rehearsals because I was already kind of steeped in the music and I was just part of the community at that point. And then a couple months later, they're like, all right, like we need a third conductor. And so I don't know. I mean, it, it, it happened so slowly in some ways. And then in other ways, I got to that night and I'm like, this is insane. How did anyone let this happen? <laughs> like, <laughs> what am I doing up here? Thought a little bit of imposter syndrome, I would guess. Oh my gosh, every day. But but what was lovely and I think a, a very rare advantage that I got to enjoy with my Broadway debut is that by then I knew the band so personally and so well and they were all like and the cast and like everyone was like totally rooting for me I mean the amount of love I got that night from within the company was truly absurd and so ordinarily your first time subbing a, a conducting a Broadway show the band might be like oh like who's this poser but instead they they it's like they're like my uncles. Like they were, they couldn't have been more like, we're so proud of you. And like, you've come so far. Um, and so I knew it couldn't really fail. It couldn't really derail. Even if I'd had a mental breakdown, it would have been fine. And I, I also, I did a lot of things that to prevent myself from having a mental breakdown. Like I, I went through my score and at the top of each song of the show, I wrote the name of someone who I love and someone who loves me <laughs> so that as the show went on, I'm like, okay, here's another person in your life and relationships are more important than Broadway and everything's going to be okay. <laughs> and they're still, they're still in my score. Every time I play the show, there are like 20 people that I, I think of and like send good vibes to. <laughs> ridiculous <laughs> well no it's not i mean you know in a, in a world where you're constantly putting yourself out there and you're constantly performing you know i think that's that's probably a luxury that you get that that other performers at least who aren't in front of sheet music all the time have and so right, you can rely right. on that support at all times and it's great that you knew the band very personally up until that point um you know it's always going to happen with a very tight-knit theater community you're not always going to get yeah. that everywhere else but you've been able to successfully uh, use that to to power you forward and uh, mm -hmm. waitress obviously a great success people uh, taking notice of of your advanced role in that show and how long is that is is that going to continue running for at least your for your involvement in it um yeah the show's doing well I, I, the, you know the instability of job like the lack of job security never ends because even now um, I am indefinitely one of the three conductors of this show so unless something went terribly wrong, I'll continue conducting it uh, until it closes, which is, but, but the strange thing about the arts is like, that could mean years or it could mean months. And you just, everyone's at the mercy of the box office, um, which is interesting because it's not anyone's fault. It's just how the market works. But that said, it's doing very well. I hope it will be running for a very long time. Um, and I would love to, yeah, continue with it as long as it runs. Well, I, I hope it. I hope it does too. Uh, you know, it's it's always Thank great you. to see successful successful friends, successful people, and uh, I guess this this tailors quite nicely into my next question. Though I'm assuming from what you just said that it's quite obvious, but for you, what would what would define? You know, we've just started the year. We're in February. Mm -hmm. 
we got a whole 2017 ahead of us. For you, what would define success in that 2017? And I, from what you said, I have to imagine it's, well, I'd like Waitress to stay up, but like, <laughs> but, uh, but, you know, yeah. is there something else that you're, that you're looking to, to personally grow with? Oh, it's such a good question. I, I've been thinking on this a lot because um, something that I struggle with is setting goals for myself. And, I, and that's not because there aren't things I want to achieve because there are so many things that I haven't done. But it's more because I don't I still don't feel like I have total control over the twists and turns of my life because you basically wait for an opportunity to present itself and then you try to do it very well but you can't it's hard to be like in 2017 I want to like I I don't know sometimes it just can feel vague because you're piecing together these offers that come at you um and so I've been reflecting on that a lot on like what what would make me feel success and I think that maybe not by the end of 2017 but in the long term I think success to me is just the agency to spend my time doing whatever projects I want all the time. (laughs) So like have no projects in my life that at all feel like I'm doing them for money or for exposure or for um, advancement, but literally just fill my calendar with the collaborators and the projects that are most interesting to me. And I think since I moved here, I've, I've been able to maintain a pretty good split. So like for every time I was, you know, accompanying auditions at like a huge casting agency, which pays super well, but there's no like artistic stimulation there for all the hours that I spent doing that. I was already like, you know, music directing really scrappy readings in someone's basement of like a weird play that they were devising. Um, And those things kind of go step in step as you go. But I think what the future is for me is to just take my favorite friends and just do their shows all the time. (laughs) And it's good to know that that list of favorite friends, I'm sure, is ever growing. And so too is the list of, of people who you'd like to work with and who would work, who would like to work with you. Uh, I think that's, I think it's wonderful. Um, I've got two final questions here. Two questions that I ask everybody that I interview. The first one is about in a very safe way, pushing somebody off the edge. And the second question is about shameless, uh, shameless self-plugging, but I'll start with the first. Say that there is somebody out there and you, you know, plenty of them, I'm sure. Uh, and let's, let's take your field, for example, somebody who is, who is acting, um, or who is music directing or who is singing or who is playing an instrument, some creative passion that they believe they have a talent in that people have told them they have a talent in and that they should just go for it. But they also see the other side, the call to the real life, the downside, the risk involved with picking up everything, moving to some city and trying to make it month to month, just like you have. It's a question that I encountered. It's a question that other people encounter every single day. It's a question that I could not answer sufficiently to the point that I didn't do it. And in part, it's the foundation for this entire show. Mm -hmm. But people have this decision that they have to make in their own lives. And it's a decision where you took the other side to go and do it, to dare as the show is titled. If you had to say based on one thing or group of things that you've learned over the years or since your time since leaving, what would you tell that prospective artist 
to make them jump, to build the plane on the way down and to go and just make it happen? I think, I think there's, there's some really unhelpful rhetoric when people talk about going into the arts where like famous actor, like people usually who have succeeded will say, oh, if you can do anything else, do it. Like you'd have to, you have to be a little crazy. Like these are things that I heard my whole life. It's like, you know, you can't have a backup plan. Like only if your heart won't let you do anything else should you go into the arts. And I think the reason that's unhelpful (laughs) is because it doesn't account for the fact that if you have a skill set that aligns with a job description, there's no reason that you shouldn't attempt to get that job, right? It's like no one, when you're filling out a job application that's going to be really, really hard to land, no one tells you, oh, well, (laughs) you better only want this and like nothing else. Like, no, you, you have to take stock of your skill set and your, you know, I mean, of course there's passion involved too. I hope that doesn't sound clinical, but maybe, maybe a slightly less clinical way of thinking of it would be take note of where there's moment, like momentum in your life. I try to think of things in terms of momentum. So I didn't know if I was going to be a good Broadway music director. I still question that sometimes, but I looked at where I felt forward momentum in my life and it all surrounded working with actors, you know, arranging, playing piano, conducting orchestras. And so it made sense to just follow that momentum. Um, And I think that can make it feel less like taking a huge plunge into abyss. Hmm. Yeah, it's a good way to think about it. There's, there's passion, there's planning. And uh, at the end of the day, there, there should be no limitation of exclusivity. Oh, you Mm -hmm. should only want to do this because you're right. It's not necessarily true. And if you think in that way, then almost certainly you will. You'll never do it. Exactly. You'll bend the other way. Uh, You'll go the route that so many people do uh, and perhaps, perhaps lives, uh, you know, fulfilling existence, but in more cases than not, as I've heard um, and seen counterexamples through this show, it bends Mm -hmm. to unfulfillment. Um, I've got one more question. Okay. People, I, I, you know, people got to go see this show. Okay. So, so one, I'm just, I'm going to let you pub whatever you got. Where's the show playing? And it's playing indefinitely, folks. Remember that. And then if people just want to interact with you, see what you're doing, they can go and read the Playbill article that I'll put in the, that I'll put in the show notes. That was the inspiration for reaching out to you in the first place. But uh, how else can they interact? Um, yeah, well, go see Waitress. It plays at the Brooks Atkinson Theater. Um, I'm on a rotation, so you might see me, you might not. But if you hit me up I'll, and I'm there, I'll take you backstage. Um, Whoa. <laughs> Come on, guys. I'm about to get like thousands and thousands of requests. No oh, my problem. God. You think thousands of people listen to this? Well, I hope you they do. You never know. I, but, I hope but, they do. You know, could be. Um, yeah. So go see Waitress. Um, oh, man. self Shameless self-plugging. I don't really have – I mean – Oh, any, I, any, shame, any shameful self-plugging? Any what? <laughs> <laughs> I'm saying any shameful self-plugging. I'm going to cut it. That was so dumb. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I don't have, like, I have, like, a really bad website that I don't update. Um, mm. 
but but well then I, we could we could just talk we could just talk we can i'll just we'll just talk about the 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 show why don't you okay. tell people like where if they're in new york where where the theater is we'll start with that yeah so 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 where is the so where is this theater i'm not i'm not big on my on my manhattan <laughs> geography where can i find it so the brooks atkinson it's on 47th street between 7th and 8th avenue um yeah it's a it's a wonderful time it's a beautiful space you heard it here. Go see Waitress. <laughs> if you can catch her on the rotation, if you don't crash her phone with all the requests to go backstage, uh, she'll take you back there. Um, Madeline Smith, just a, an incredibly inspiring story of somebody who is flourishing in the arts, somebody who I'm lucky to call a friend and, and somebody who's now a friend of the show. Thank you so much for, uh, for coming on to chat. Thank you, Adam. As Madeline mentioned, you can catch Waitress on Broadway now. Madeline, let's just go with Maddie. Maddie, thanks so much for being on this show, and uh, I look forward to your continued successes. I can't guarantee that they'll happen, but I'm pretty sure they're going to happen. I think most people are pretty sure they're going to happen. So let me congratulate you in advance and to date for everything that you've been involved with. To keep up with the show, with more episodes of To Dare is Human, with more episodes of Wonder Women, I'm actually still producing content as I am putting this one together. We are due to run for at least another four to five weeks, but I am still sourcing content. And I've been talking about this on my various social media platforms across Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. I've been doing a lot of stuff. I post at least once a day motivational quotes that I like, uh, pictures of folks who are doing inspirational things. And you can feel free to contact me through any of those mediums or through email, hello at todareishuman.com, or you can go to the contact box on my website, todareishuman.com. Let me know what you think about the show. Let me know if it's constructive criticism that you think I should add something or take something away. Generally, just reach out to me and let me know what you think. And hopefully, we can help to connect with some more daring individuals to bring onto this show and whose stories we can share. All right, that's all for this episode. I look forward to seeing you all or talking to you all, having you listen to me on Monday. We're going into another mini-sode. Uh, where you'll hear another example of something that I've been reading or looking at or sharing during the week. I have an idea of what I'm about to do, but I'm going to leave you in suspense. Until then, I'm your host, Adam Connor. Keep daring, and I'll see you later.